what like how would you describe hololens like what is it man you really aren't a geek Hey, welcome to Developers Hangout, a podcast for developers by developers, a place where developers get together as often as possible and discuss uh, topics about coding and anything else that comes along with it. Uh, I'm Nathan Kirschbaum, and we also have... Hey, I'm Alfred Nutilli, the other host of the show. So welcome. So yeah, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. I think we have um, a number of, of really uh, exciting things to talk about, both in the PHP and uh, JavaScript world, actually. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's just go ahead and jump into that. Um, let's yeah. see. Uh, yeah, I'll jump on the first one. Sure. Uh, it has been a busy two weeks. We just kind of came out of a, a pretty pressured moment. I think I was away one of the weeks, but not really. <laughs> uh, so, but there is a lot going on and, uh, a lot of little podcast, uh, listening to. Uh, so the first, uh, headline is, um, five tips for being an effective team lead, and uh, we'll put the link in the show note. And it's just a you know a quick uh, read, uh, and it goes over some of these nice points about uh, what it takes to to take that next step in in the in your role. If you want to, some people don't want to, and it's brilliant if they don't want to and they know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, Al, I'm curious as when you re- when you were reading this, did one pop out to you as? Um, as, as it, like and just for for people listening all the yeah. kind of high level and I won't go into detail yeah. they should definitely read the article but uh we've got learn to delegate find time to code visualize yeah. your architecture uh spend time one on one with team members learn to speak the language of the business so those yeah. are the five i'm just curious what did any of did any right. of those speak to you strongly well i think they all are good points, but I think if anything, the learn to delegate has always been my struggle. And uh, you, you and I both actually struggle with it because we're like, <laughs> right. "Hey, this looks wicked fun. I want to do this as well." Right. Uh, so it's a funny balance of how do you, you know, you know, you like you. Want, I'm not going to say you know because I noticed my last podcast. I do that a lot, but um, and I'm supposed to be drinking when I do. <laughs> uh, so when you uh, learn to delegate, um, you see a task and you're like this looks really fun, but you got to let go of some of these things. And it's, it's, it is a struggle. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it is. Um, that's a really good point. Um, cool. So yeah, check out that article. Um, one one other thing to say is it reminds me of this one day when, uh, I was, uh, at a computer shop I knew the people at and, uh, the manager of a higher end role just left and I was looking at a guy at the uh, tech support desk and I'm like, Hey, you know, you could really move up. And he just looked at me like he doesn't want to. And I'm like, you know, why don't you want to move up? And he's like, well, I enjoy where I am right now. And it's a funny, it was like, I just was kind of blown away because I'm like, I never think of it that way, you know? Right. Uh, so not everybody should become a tech lead. Um, uh, so it just reminds me of that. Right. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I think, like, I'm actually curious about your perspective on this. Um, like, I've noticed just like coming from, you know, like I spent, before I got into doing development full time, I spent quite a bit of time doing like technical project management. And then, and then I've kind of gone into development, but at times I kind of like end up, you know, kind of in a business facing 
like side of things. And, and I think when you're when you're when you're a tech lead, you're kind of you're more bridging the gap between the dev team and like the business in some ways. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's an interesting piece, too, because people who are extremely talented on the technical side aren't always talented or don't have the time and patience um, that is required, right? The people skills uh, for bridging that gap. Yeah. No, it's, 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 and it's nothing wrong with that, you know? Right. I think we, we kind of mistake this as a natural progression and it's not. Right. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, check that out. We'll post the link uh, on our website. Um, The other thing we wanted to talk about, or one of the other things today, um, was a really, uh, really good uh, podcast by Ruby uh, Rogues Podcast, and uh, we'll put the link on the site as well, but uh, this one is called Team Dynamics, API Design, and System Resiliency with Daniel Jacobson, who is a lead at Netflix. And this, uh, there's, uh, there's actually a number of things in this podcast that are really fascinating, and you know, you actually, maybe you have a couple of thoughts on that too, Al. What, I think the most interesting thing to me was listening and hearing. You know, we're doing so much work on APIs, and we are, we're starting to think about resiliency and kind of um, you know how we should de- how we should design our our fallback fallback mechanisms when we have so many services uh, talking to one another. Uh, and I know you know Al's been working and thinking on some like middleware solutions, uh, but this was interesting because. You know, uh, and it's you know they have a Netflix. Obviously, they're uh, mostly Java, and they've got a pretty big infrastructure. But the concept was really interesting to me. And one of the one of the most interesting was um, they spent a lot of time trying to use the like a typical API approach where you're. Uh, you're trying to meet everyone's needs. You've got a single API, like a RESTful API, that uh, you're 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 trying to meet all the people's different needs. Whether that, you know, in a Netflix case, this is you know, you're trying to meet the same people who need to play video on an iPhone with the same people who do it on a desktop or need it for whatever. All the different platforms and devices that they they um, they support, and it was really causing a lot of problems. And you know, without going into too much technical detail, uh, you know, their solution, which they've recently released, is to basically build. Uh, you know, at the core level, they've got kind of a really fine grained API where you can do just an enormous amount of things, and then they allow each team within Netflix to essentially build their own API on top of that. So what one model means to me on my team could be could be different. Like, you know, the same call could return something completely different for another team because they're actually empowering the teams to build their own API and they've got a whole yeah. workflow uh where, you know, as a te- as a team, I can kind of define how how our API is going to work. And with every release, I can change that if I need to. And it doesn't, you know, and it pushes that up and automatically, you know, uh, automatically releases it uh, in a way that keeps the whole, the entire system stable, but allows for individual, like individuality and flexibility across teams. So I found that tremendously interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, he was allowing, uh, he was dividing the needs of the UI people from the API building people so that the... um, the UI people wouldn't be bottlenecked by the API people getting them the exact output they needed or forcing them to bend to the output that was also dealing with 10 other uh, UI needs, right? Mm, right. It was, it was a really neat spin off of how to build an API. And um, 
uh, he couldn't go into much detail because it's just maybe it was just hard to explain. But um, uh, it made me start thinking, how could we do that? Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that was a really uh, cool part of the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and they've spent a lot of time, um, you know, thinking about these kinds of things. So it's really yeah, interesting. Netflix, and yeah. you know, they also, um, you know, they also. Um, the, a lot of their a lot of Netflix's work is uh, open source, so you can actually go yeah. check it out. And then, you know, especially in the term in the world of like resiliency and fallback, they've yeah. actually got one package in particular. I'm trying to remember its name right now, um, but uh, I'll, I'll, th- I'll try to think. Historics, of it. yeah, historics, uh, and there's others as well. Um, but it does it, some really cool stuff in terms of helping you to. Uh, monitor your APIs and even do like fallback um, fallback yeah. scenarios. Yeah, um, really cool stuff. So, for example, their APIs, you know, the, you can they've got it set up so that um, you know they can tell the difference between like latency on a single request versus like uh, yeah. you know a more doomsday scenario where there's a piece of the API or the entire API is down. Um, yeah. And whoever's communicating with that API can know that and can either make de- make decisions based off that. So, you know, if it's just latency on one connection, it's just like, all right, set, try again. Um, yeah. If the whole thing's down, they've got default data or, you know, a default kind of mechanism that kicks into place. So, you know, one API doesn't, you know, one API that, that depends on seven other APIs doesn't break because one of those APIs goes down. There's kind of yeah. Uh, I guess you'd call it like graceful degradation w- built into the system. Yeah. No, it's interesting how they sent out multiple requests with one request so that whoever got it first and got it done, you know, it didn't matter if one out of the seven were dead servers, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, the other part to this was the team dynamics, how they would hire people, how they manage the team size, how how they thought about hiring not for the now but for the future. Uh, things like that was really good. Ruby Rogues is a good example of... Um, even though they make fun of PHP a lot, um, they're, they're a good group of people. And when you get the right, uh, they have uh, like Avdi Grimm and other um, host, uh, not host, is it the host? Yeah, host, who who are there and they're just brilliant. And uh, it's a great listen, even if you don't do Ruby, uh, which we don't. Um, so a lot yeah. of good stuff on there. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, on that note, one thing was interesting. Uh, you know, Daniel Jacobson mentioned that Netflix does not hire uh, junior developers, yeah, just exactly. like just senior, exactly. senior, well-seasoned people. Uh, and that was really, I found that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. It made me think for, for, you know, how to move forward with what we're trying to work on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was a really good one. Um, another headline was, uh, Alexa SDK. Uh, uh, it might be called echo. This is the Amazon, uh, SDK for their, uh, AI or voice interaction device. It's it's a really cool device. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it before. I have. Uh, honestly, it kind of cre- creeps me out a little oh, bit. I, I, no, I know. Well, no, it's not, <laughs> you know. Honestly, it's more. Uh, I don't know. I'm a big like. I, I, I'm big into privacy. Like, I think all this yeah. technology is great, and I embrace it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also uh, just have. I just take pause or caution when, when yeah. you know, and so the idea of like, until I, I like when I, when I use something, I need to like understand on the technical level, like what the possibilities are, uh, yeah. in terms of, no, you know, know. And, but, and they, but like you, do you use Gmail? I do. I do. So I brought this up to someone at a, at a, a barbecue yesterday. It's like, it's listening to everything I say. And it's like, so you probably say more in your emails and, and guess who's listening to that, you know? I don't know. I mean, I I actually know that Gmail is, is you know, in terms of, 
Um, I, I completely understand that, that someday something I put in Gmail may get read by someone I didn't want it to, you know, so like, so, you know, not that I, I don't know, not that I have anything to worry about really, but, but but, but, but that's not the point though, too, is like, cause, cause a lot of people, and when we're talking about like, um, data and sharing data and what should be private and what shouldn't be private, they come with this argument that like, ah, you know, I'm not doing anything illegal or I'm not doing anything that like, whatever, you know, like, and that's not the point. The point isn't that what the point isn't whether or not you're doing something bad. The point is whether or not, these companies or the government, um, you know, should be able to do that in the first place. Um, you know, so, so it's, to, so to me, it's not, it's not really about what I'm doing now. It's, it's more about, um, you know, data is like data is power. And like, we know as developers, we know that more than anyone else. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I was in a, I was in a meeting once, uh, at a company I worked for previously, and this was before Edward Snowden had come out and before the kind of like mass surveillance thing. And I was making, it was before the meeting started and I was just chatting, uh, small talk. And I was talking about how the power that companies like Google um, and others have because at Facebook, because of the data and the, 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 like the processing that they can do on that data and like the predictability and just like the things that they can know about people by seemingly innocent data is just incredible. And I likened it I, when I was telling the story, I told, or, you know, explaining this to the folks in the meeting, a few business people, and it wasn't all developers. I was explaining it as like, it would be equivalent to like going back to like the 1600s. Um, and having a machine gun where like if you like, you know, and what I meant by this was like it, uh, the like it, it created a power dynamic where like if it, like in the 1600s, if you had a if you had a machine gun, like you yeah. could get you could do whatever you wanted. There's nothing anyone could do about it. Um, and, and, you know, it was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a um, I don't know, it's just just to tell a story. But it's not that far off because I think, you know, think of a world where one person or a group of people kind of has access to everyone's Gmail account. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that that's what, I think there's probably, you know, good security measures in place. Um, and you know, at the time people like laughed and they're, ah, you know, like wrote it off as being silly. It's not something I worry about a lot, but you know, thinking about it, um, and you know, literally like three or four weeks later, uh, you know, the Edward Snowden things come out and it turned out that like, you know, the government was, uh, was, uh, you know, participating in this kind of mass, uh, surveillance scheme. Um, yeah. so anyway, uh, this is, I now I've gone down this rabbit hole a little bit, but, uh, um, I, I do find it interesting and I'm always a little bit skeptical about bringing a new product like this into my household just cause it's, you know, like having something sitting on a table that's always listening, uh, it's it. just a little, <laughs> it's just, I take pause. Yeah. I just wanted to get all so smart that it, it's like even my email. I wish there was more AI there and it would just read the emails for me and tell me if I really need to read this one. Like I really want things to get that automatic. Yeah. And I would love to walk into a room and just say, hey, turn on the lights, turn off the heat. Yeah. Whatever. Um, or play some music. Right. Because, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the whole security thing, it, it makes sense in the privacy. Yeah. Um, what, what some companies have done, which I really like, is um, – they'll make it so that you can provide your own encryption key um yeah so that yeah. and the, the encryption key lives on your hardware so that you're you're yeah. never you know the data that's being transmitted and stored would are is you know the company can't even unencrypt it um that yeah, kind of thing that's interesting yeah maybe the uh, sdk will provide something like that where the other services that are using it i, I don't know it's it, it 
in the end, I think you have to give up some of these things to have uh, these other things that some of us like. Right. Um, and, and some people will make a private uh, echo. It's just a you know Raspberry Pi with good microphones running Linux, and therefore what you're saying is true. It could just be a local encrypted thing that connects to all the open uh, source uh, you know APIs that do these things, right. like lights and ordering or whatever. Right. Um, but in the in the, but there's always those camps of like, hey, I'd rather just have it like my own cloud or something. Right. Uh, but then there's people like me. I guess I just uh, I just don't care. Right. Uh, I don't really say anything private and other than my credit card numbers. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, in, in, so it's, I'm, I'm, you know, from the SDK standpoint, it's interesting. It's going to be, it's another industry for us to start thinking like about, and, uh, you know, they're going to have demands to build things, APIs and backends and other things. So, uh, and it's, you know, being what it is, it's an API driven industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So that was interesting news, though. It's very cool stuff. Yeah. Um, the next one is my name in front of it, and it's Adventures in Angular podcast. Uh, we'll link to that. Another great podcast. Uh, uh, Joe Eames is on it. He's a uh, great teacher of Angular and uh, John Papa style guys. There's actually a lot of people on that show that are really uh, great to listen to. But this one was the road to NG2, and you know the show was really good to listen to, and it just kind of. You know, these people are really positive about Angular, but in this case, you just could really hear them being like, you know, it's not going to be an easy path and for better or good, um, and here's what you can do to get ready now. And in the long run, it might all be good. It just might be... It was interesting to hear their perspectives, how Angular 1 went from wicked easy to do and even the demo six lines of code to Angular 2 being a five-minute demo, and it's pretty abstract. So it it just... You know, it's a good uh, sense of what you can start thinking about now, but also for technology like TypeScript or ES6 or System.js, mm-hmm. but also, you know, to be thinking like, is it the right path for us? Right. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. And there's so folks should know that they're, um, you know, it's actually a really interesting thing. Uh, start looking into it. There's actually some discre- you know, some disagreement among the amongst the hosts about uh, whether or not it's time to really start using this thing. Um, I mean, I think it's in alpha or beta mode. Alpha. So it's yeah. alpha. Yeah. So so unless unless you're really steeped in current angular and you really want to. Um, you know, just familiarize yourself on a, a side project or something, you're probably not going to start with it. Um, but it is interesting and it's not, it's not, there is no upgrade path. So um, you would, you know, there, there's not a, there's no easy way to upgrade from your current yeah. Angular to Angular 2. Um, but it is interesting. And these are new concepts to me, like ES6, TypeScript, yeah. System.js. It's just like, man, it's a lot of stuff. Um Honestly, and John Papa made a good point. Take them on one at a time. You know, take on ES6 and start learning that. Take on TypeScript. You know, right, right, yeah. It's very so, fascinating. Um, yeah, and maybe in a show or two uh, with our next project, we'll talk about what direction we go in and why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you also look at Vue.js and you're like, wow, that's back to simplicity. And our level of, um, you know, SPAs or single page applications. Uh, might allow us to do that you know because we're maybe not building that i don't know it's hard to say what's big and what's small but it's interesting how much you can do with a with something like a a more simple framework which you know angular one is that in some ways Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm really, it's really interesting. Um, and I'm fascinated. There's also, yeah, there's some good, um, so in addition to the podcast, uh, there's some really good kind of like introductions, like you just like the five, you know, if you want to get it up and running, kind of a five minute install, um, yeah. you know, yeah. and then there's a couple blog posts out there that walk you through some of the changes in more detail. All right. You're on the next one. So, yeah. So, um, so there's an article uh, that came out, uh, I believe, this week in Bloomberg that we wanted to just point out and uh, discuss a little. It's a really, really cool article. Um, it's called uh, "What Is Code?" And it's a funny um, website. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's really neat. Like, so, so sometimes I, I, this is one of the first I, worst first ones I've seen for like a, a code-related article. But they, uh, a lot of times, uh, these newer news organizations will do kind of like in-context pieces that have a lot of cool graphics and a lot of inactivity. So this is one of those. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's, it's lengthy, but it kind of, um, it, it kind of tells a really neat story and walks, you know, walks you through kind of a, a, a scenario where, uh, you know, you, you're, you know, you're learning like, what is code? What does it mean to code? What are, what are, um, you know, I, and I actually think I'm, you know, as I was reading through it, um, this is an article I would send to kind of friends and family who don't really <laughs> understand what yeah. I do, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it, yeah. I mean, they, sh- they could make it through it, but you know, it is a good point though. It's really good. Yeah. It's really a fun read. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the person is obviously really passionate and really, uh, uh, you know, funny in the way he writes or she, is it a he or she? I don't know. Let's see. Uh, Josh. Josh. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, really good one. I got to finish reading it. I'm halfway through because it is lengthy, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. Well, then the next one is uh, John Papa Hot Towel. Um, this came up last week, and it's a it's a big, it's a way to really just get started with all the good design patterns, uh, testing uh, built-in type of <clears throat> uh, install of Angular, and he plugs it in with a built-in Node.js backend. But obviously, you can just replace it with whatever. Uh, it's a really uh we're gonna have to really look into this i mean we have some really good configurations now but maybe this would take us to the next level right yeah this is interesting and i'm i'm interested in looking into it more it's also worth noting that um he's got if you look in john papa's repository he's got another version of this um which includes so 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 this is really good especially working on angular now but he's also done one uh, with Angular 2 and even wow. like variants where he's like just working in some of the new components of Angular 2 so you can still work with Angular now um, but start That's to start to um, you know TypeScript for example um, is is kind of baked into it and you can start to get some experience there um, I haven't I haven't gone through of them extensively although I was taking a peek yesterday and it seemed pretty interesting yeah no I mean he's the style guide we follow that's his um, so yeah, I mean, we should look into this for our own projects for playing around or, uh, in, in our new projects mm-hmm. as they start. For sure. I mean, we have a lot already in place, but this could really bring us to that more consistent tight level and, and introduce more testing, which we kind of, you know, cause our JavaScript is not that complex. We don't always find ourselves doing unit testing. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's a good one. Uh, in the last article is just an interesting intro to a book, uh, agile IT organization design. Um, and it's just some good points in the book looks like it might be interesting. Um, but also not interesting cause some of the stuff is, uh, not exactly what I want to spend my time reading about. Cause I'd rather read about, um, code or, or design patterns or ideas. But in the end, these project management 
ways are, are really key because you need to learn how to think and talk in a way that the people you're trying to express your ideas to uh, can, can uh, you know, basically buy and understand, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these things help. And I just said, you know. But anyways, these things do help. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, all right. Great. So let's... Um, before we move into our kind of Q and A section, let's um, let's take a stop at our so our latest readings. We're, we're always as a team and as a group, we're always kind of uh, doing. We have a book club and we we go through um, and just kind of pick a chapter or two. And uh, right now we are we are reading. Um, I'm going to forget the name of the book because I'm put on the spot. Uh, Building mm-hmm. microservices. Um, and you can see our first podcast, uh, if you want to, if you want to get the link to that book. Um, but we're on chapter three and we've kind of been talking a little bit about, um, um, design, uh, domain driven design and bounded context. Um, and it was interesting because at our last kind of group discussion, there was really some confusion about bounded context and what that was. And it looks like Al, you found, uh, some pretty good resources on that. Do you want to give a little overview of what, what, what is meant by bounded context and why that's useful? Yeah, um, and just to be clear, because otherwise it will look like we've been on Chapter 3 since the first podcast, um, we are into 4. Uh, right. I don't think, uh, I, th- I think we're about halfway through, and I'm trying to think if there's anything highlighted there, but basically Bounded Context was such a, a foundation to this book that I felt bad not really getting it. And this article I linked to by Martin Fowler, of course, uh, really uh, describes it well, how it's just basically wrapping up uh, the uh, the needs of a domain into a small container so that they can be cohesive and, and then, you know, separated. So he always, a lot of these companies break it down into departments. In his case, it's the sales, con- sales context or the support context and how then, you know, the pieces that connect them are, are those little gateways or those little uh, bridges that are like the customer information from sales has to talk to the customer information from support but it doesn't need to know everything about support so the bounded context is how they break those things up and i think one of our discussions was like you were trying to break things up really small and it seems like all these examples they're always breaking it up as some type of business level or domain level right is the word they use so it's a funny balance of like how small do you go right yeah it's definitely interesting and something i've been you know the domain driven design piece is something i've been learning about and eager to learn more about um and it's not always something as like it makes sense like thinking about it now uh but it's not for whatever reason it's not always obvious and that you know like i think the main yeah. thing there is like really like modeling the the software design uh, as closely as possible or as closely as makes sense um to the business the the business yeah. structure um yeah which helps in a number of ways. Um, and, you know, p- particularly like examples where like you've got <clears throat> like actually like product or uh, like service or things like this are good examples because um, different parts of a business view uh, some of those things, like can view the same thing very differently. And so, uh, you know, like one use case um, that Martin Fowler gave, for example, was he, you know, he was u- working at a company where, uh, it was like an electric company or utility company. So they, they had, they used the word meter a lot and, oh, and yeah. in different like areas of the company, like a meter means can mean very different things. It can be a physical device. 
um, in one context and in another context, something completely different. Um, <clears throat> and so the bounded context <clears throat> and, and this kind of philosophy help, <clears throat> help to both define those things, excuse me, and also, <clears throat> excuse me, define these things and also um, allow for, you know, for it to be okay and for it to still work when when those when those things mean different things yeah. in different parts of the overarching structure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true, and that's so key if you get those things wrong. In the naming of your classes and stuff, we had so much trouble in, in this recent project with naming. Um, so it's just a good example of how all that stuff pays off. Yeah. And I think uh, in one of the other podcasts at the PSR 7 um, PHP roundtable. It, I think Larry Garfield quoted some other book that was like, you know, um, good models, uh, cr- you know, help make good applications. And uh, by modeling your data, uh, you can build applications that aren't always trying to uh, make up for that particular bad model, right? Right. And, and that even comes down to the name of classes and, and other things. So you really see how it can all come together. It's still kind of hard to envision, though. Once you get into, say, support context or sales context, at what level are you breaking that down to um, to that particular bounded context, right? Right. Is the opportunity pipeline the same thing, uh, you know, uh, their own bounded context? That I don't get. Right. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to dig deeper into that. You know, I think the problem areas obviously are the bounded or the, I don't know if it's problem areas, but the areas that require the most attention are the, those, those, um, those models which are which like span bounded contexts um so that's that's kind of where i that's i think where the rubber meets the road in some ways for me um and i want to understand a little more of the philosophy and the strategy for um making that work you know um yeah yeah in a way that's changeable because that's really what all this is about i mean you can plan you can plan um you, you know you can you can plan this really any way you want but what this what this philosophy and what this approach is about is making you know is expecting change and making change you yeah. know like and, and making it so then when it does inevitably happen um you know the castle doesn't fall apart yeah well and that's the thing it, it's all it is all about change uh, which we'll touch on shortly um cool or expecting change right all right, so uh, let's see. We're going pretty long here, but that's good. Um, the HoloLens. So now we'll head into topics, uh, questions, and, and answers, like what we've been thinking about working on. So recently, uh, the HoloLens by Microsoft is, um, I, I just have this gut feeling it's going to be uh, a good thing and a change. And, you know, uh, just thinking about it more, I'm realizing, wow, this is going to be amazing. Like a friend of mine just graduated from architecture architecture. Um, degree uh, at, at a college and it's like you know as an architect it's going to be awesome when he can just hand the customer glasses and him glasses and walk around in the thing he's creating for them right and uh you know in that moment it's like you just realize how amazing this stuff can be um even you know maybe from a design standpoint when we're designing these programs instead of a whiteboard to help define how classes connect and processes go we can step into uh, a, a visual process of it um so is that was uh, just for, for for folks who don't know and actually for me a little too uh what like how would you describe hololens like what is man it? you really aren't a geek <laughs> this is like the biggest like basically and watch the video i'll link to the video All right. um remind me there yeah 
basically you put on these glasses that uh, you know they're going to come out soon and will they be perfect no um, but they're going to have a, a a good freedom about it they might have wires I'm still not sure but you could basically put on these glasses and walk around and it can sense where you are and relative to what you're what you're in right so say I have a, I'm in my room my office and in my office um, uh, I have a uh, uh, a big let's see i have a i have a model and, and there's a few different things connecting to each other uh, a model of classes and flow right right i can move them around with my hands because it's tracking my hand movement like the connect or the wii u would right yeah and uh it's then you're in that same room with me and it can help understand where we're facing and and, and uh what's the word like how we are in in uh distance to each other and that particular object that doesn't really exist you see Mm -hmm. but we can both see it and manipulate it right so uh it can come down to so many things at that point like uh you know whether it's us working together on a project and trying to design it on a whiteboard that's not really there Mm -hmm. uh or on a new way to design these things with objects that now represent you know like we've done in the future in the past like what the hell is a folder and file on a computer? It's just a representation of a state that we worked in before, right? Right. So now we've brought those to computers. Well, this is going to bring maybe UML diagrams to um, uh, a new uh, augmented reality. That's right? really cool. You, yeah. you know where else I could see this being? I mean, I'm sure there's like a, a bunch of industries this would be big in, but um, like real estate, you know, buy, yeah, buying houses. Exactly. Could you imagine exactly. how great it would be to be able to like go on a tour that was actually a tour of the house? You, yeah. know, you didn't even have to go there. You could just, no, you just, it's just a game changer. And like, in it's, it's crazy too, because like when you watch this video, this, this person is in his kitchen and he turns on everything, right? Uh, all of a sudden he can see an augmented reality on his wall is a nice screen showing TV shows. Uh, somewhere else is maybe, uh, something like it, you have to watch it right right but my point is that tv used to cost money to buy the hardware but now it just exists in an augmented reality that he maybe bought from like so, so does the person buy the tv now from best buy or they download the app and now they have a tv that now used to be hardware and software but now is all software mm, yeah Right, so you and I could open up the future company. Hey, we make TVs for uh, Hololens. In what that means is, you buy our app, which then puts a TV on a wall of yours. Right, and it has a nice user interface that makes it better than the other TV the other people made. Right, it's a it's a pretty big Uh, shift. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, and once you start wearing these things everywhere, um. It's it's pretty crazy. I mean, I joke. Uh, my one of my things is like, when are we going to have ads on top of urinals that are TV, <laughs> right? Right. But now, and I'm like, okay, how do you do that? You have to plug them in, or they have batteries, and you have to lock them up so no one touches them, obviously, right. or grabs them. But when I'm standing on that urinal, I have nothing to look at, right? Yeah. But why not? It's because we haven't done that yet. But now you can see, like, now I'm walking around my my uh, Hololens contacts or glasses or whatever. Uh, and you can walk in there, and right there is an ad that's relative to you because they're scanning your Gmail, yeah, and uh, and so forth. And and it'll know that you're going to the bathroom because it has sound and vision that's always watching you, so it'll know to start showing you ads, right? Yeah, I just saw someone walked <laughs> up, and it connects to your thing via some type of like um, messaging thing to know, like, oh, I know who you are. You're this person. Yeah. You know? So, uh, but again, to bring it back, it's like 
wow, you know, these are really cool uses. And uh, in, in it, it's a shift. Like, we're programmers. Now we can program um, hardware. We can program TVs and other things that could be replaced by uh, augmented reality. Yeah. Really cool stuff. It's crazy. I mean, we can make a whole line of kid toys, you know, because uh, now they're just fake. They're, they're, I don't want to say fake, they're virtual, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about it. It's, it, sounds, uh, it sounds cutting edge, bleeding edge. Yeah, I'm getting more excited. Yeah. yeah. So. Cool. Um, well, I knocked a couple of things off because <laughs> yeah. we're running a little short, but let me know if either of those uh, yeah. you want to bring up. Yeah, no, no, they're, they're fine. Okay. The, the next thing um, I, we want to talk about is kind of um, personal projects um, and testing. Like, um, and this is interesting because like, oh, yeah. you know, there's <clears throat> so, so, you know, we, we've all done it. Like you, you've got, you've got stuff going on at work and you just like need to get away and um, you know, you want to do some coding on some new stuff or some fun stuff or product ideas you have or whatever. And so the question is like, what, you know, you know, so obviously in, in the business context, when you're delivering to a client, um, you know, you need to have testing and you need, you, there's this kind of a, a minimal level of testing that we as professional developers either have or, or honestly should have uh, when we're delivering a project uh, or a product. Um, but it's an interesting question. Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on like when you're working on, when you have an idea for a product or a tool and you're starting, yeah. you know, you're starting to just sketch out those ideas or even see if it's feasible, um, yeah. What do you do for testing on your personal projects? Right, right. That's why I brought this up. So I'm working on an idea now that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like they say, like some of this stuff isn't worth testing because you're just hashing out ideas and, um, and, uh, and then, you know, to a degree, a product might not work out. So why spend twice the time on it, uh, testing than you need to, um, so I think when something's just being played around with, uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> So when, when, when you're at that point, you can skip testing because you're just building controllers with a lot of logic to just spit out information to see if this works, right? Mm-hmm. To see if the idea work, works for you. Um, but at some point, and, and even at the beginning, uh, you do want to think about testing. And it's so easy now uh, in the framework we use, which is Laravel, uh, and especially 5.1, that it it's almost costs you nothing. And it, it actually saves you things in, in two ways. One, uh, you know, you don't have to... You don't have to keep going back to a place and saying, let me look again, let me look again. You can actually re, you know, just keep moving forward and building, knowing that things behind you aren't breaking, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that saves a lot of time. And it's, it's, you, know, you, you can start building these UIs without ever going back again to make sure you didn't break the pagination or the search or the whatever, mm, right? right. Uh, and then as you move forward, uh, you sometimes need help thinking things through, and that's where testing, I think, it's... it's, it's not always realize that testing isn't something you might keep. It's something you're using because it's so isolated and so easy to spin up. It's like, you know, I want to test that this query brings me back what I want and the APIs and the format I need. And before long, you're just writing and cranking this out because you're hitting, you know, PHP unit or uh, uh, gulp TDD. And it's just cranking over that test over and over again as you make changes. Right. right? Or you're just dumping the output because you're just curious. And at that point, you're just eat able to quickly iterate over a thought without going to the browser and reloading or trying to run it some way. Right. right? The other thing which you've, which you've kind of uh, instilled in me through, through our various work together is 
that the and it actually at first I was kind of it, it felt unnatural. It wasn't that I was resistant to it. It just felt unnatural. But it, but doing tests can actually help a lot in terms of thinking through complex yeah. problems. Yeah, um, totally. Because it really forces you to take one thing at a time. And, and you, you know, like while your brain wants to like jump to solving yeah. the problem and, you know, immediately like the 16 components of it are, you know, flash in your head and you're, you're toying around with them trying to figure out like the best way to do it. Um, that's often not the best approach. Like the, often it's just yeah. like to be very concrete about like, well, what's, what's the, what's the, what's the next minimal thing I need to do to, yeah. to, to make this work? Like, what do I need? I, oh, well, I need my class to return X. Okay, so then you focus on that, and it really it really makes things concrete in a way that um, helps to simplify really complex problems. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, totally, totally, uh, and I find that to be key. Um, so yeah, so in personal projects, especially with how easy it is, uh, I found it to be in this recent project really uh, helpful in in knowing when to back away and be like, okay, I'm getting lost here in, in overdoing things, you know, right. Uh, do you want me to jump into? Yeah, yeah. Or what? Well, yeah, whatever you want. We're working on a project, and we did a huge pivot. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you ever watched Silicon Valley. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they did a good spoof on that. But anyways, <laughs> um, but basically, you know, we we were able to say, you know, here, client, here's what we're doing. Here's where we're at with this idea you had, and and to get the feedback right away from them and say, okay, we realize it, we see it. But now we realize that's not our main need, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was nice to be able to turn around and say, okay, fine, let's end this sprint now early, and let's start again reworking our, our focus. Right. And you and I both come from Waterfall, where it's like, hey, here's your design, here's your idea, we'll see you in three months, and we'll show you what we made. Right. And it's just crazy to think that can really work. And it never did. The client was always like, I didn't, this doesn't make sense, or now this doesn't work, or you know, as good as we thought. And um, it just was one of those moments where you're like, it, it was nice that we can pivot. And you shouldn't feel bad that you built these things that now they don't need. Because sometimes you need to build these things to realize if they really were your need. Right. But you only, you know, like the nice thing about it is you only spent a week or two, you know, our, our sprints are two yeah. weeks. So you only yeah. spent a week or two working on something that, you know, I guess in this case, a lot of it is just kind of like yeah. uh, backlogged as opposed to I, I'm not sure we did too much that needs to be thrown out entirely. Um, oh, no, but no. but the but the priorities changed and that's OK. Um, but you're right. Coming from that waterfall mentality, it makes it and and just, you know, um, you know, having having kind of uh, taking pride in your work and, and, and whatever it does, it does make it hard. Um, but the, you, you have to believe in oh, the yeah. process and you have to kind of follow you know, follow the rules. So if you're if you're in an agile workflow and things change in the middle of a sprint, you've got yeah. to cancel the sprint. You've got to restart and you know and totally regroup um, to, yeah. to keep everyone's sanity. Um, but it really does make sense and it, and it works. Yeah. The um, no, it's true. It's true. And and uh, um, you know, like it's a two week sprint. But one of the other things I think we need to do more of, and and we do kind of is. There's no reason why you can't show little pieces along the way to get feedback and be like, oh, this button's here or this does this. Oh, we really don't like that. It didn't work like we thought it would. So you can always not lose the whole sprint. uh, Or sorry, you don't always have to wait for two weeks to show these things, right? Right. So, which seems so little of a time, but once you get into this stuff and you can crank out a lot of stuff, it's a lot to fit in two weeks to show them. Right. Um, So. Yeah. 
but yeah, so it was a good, it was a good moment of like, you know, this, this really worked. And I know it's all relative to budgets and timelines. Uh, so you can see where it can be dangerous too, but, uh, it was neat to see it happen for sure. All right. All right. Well, I think, I think that's it on my list. Do you have anything else? No, just uh, to remind people to uh, to rate us on iTunes because I think it's the uh, center of the earth and that's where everything comes from uh, for podcasters. And uh, in that, uh, I'll link to a New York uh, camp. It seems to be a Drupal camp, but it's really miscellaneous PHP stuff uh, that I'll do an intro to Laravel at, and that should be fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, thank you, everyone, and uh, we will we'll see you in a couple weeks. All right. Talk to y'all later.